0: Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 and then skip ahead to verses 66. Through 68. So hear now the word of the Lord. After this Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this is God's word. Would Jesus recognize himself in the way that we speak about him? I remember in college, someone snapped a photo of Brad Pitt, a famous actor I really like snapped a photo of him wearing the shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. Now I have to confess, I kind of wanted to buy that shirt after I saw him wearing that shirt. And the thought never occurred to me, would Jesus refer to himself as Tim's homeboy? Probably not. Definitely not. Would Jesus recognize himself in the way we speak about him, I don't, I don't know if you've seen a number of different pictures of Jesus that float around, but it it could be interesting. There's this photo of Jesus where he's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, with a beautiful long, flowing head of hair. And I look at that picture and I think to myself, why are there no pictures of Jesus bald? It seems unfair. We don't know if he had a full head of hair or not. Why not bald with a beard, Jesus? Or there's this picture of Jesus holding an American flag. I wonder what Christians in China or in other countries would think of that. Does Jesus love Americans more than he does people from other countries? Or there's this picture of bodybuilding Jesus that our campus pastor in Laporte, Joe, found this week with 100% gain written on his communion chalice. Would Jesus recognize himself in the way that we speak about him, the way we depict him? We're beginning a new series this week, seven weeks in the I Am statements in the Gospel of John and we're titling the series, Jesus Speaks for Himself. Because as best we can, we want to just let Jesus talk who he is, what he thought about himself. And I recognize the irony in this as Pastor Greg Carter pointed out this week when we were talking about this series, Jesus speaks for himself as Tim and the other pastors speak for Jesus. So I get it, I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. And my task this morning is to get as close to what he meant by the words we will read from him today as I can. So to that end, I need lots of help. So I'm gonna pray and then talk through this passage. Let's pray. Father, we believe Jesus is not just the most revolutionary figure in all of human history. He is your son, the Messiah. So we want to speak truthfully about him. I want to speak truthfully about him. And I know everyone want, listening wants to hear truthfully about him. So do that work in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you noticed in this passage, it begins with Jesus amassing a major crowd of people, but by the end, they almost all leave him. Why? What did he say that made them want to leave? And if I heard him say that, would I leave? If you heard him say that, would you leave? What did Jesus say in this passage? passage. Well, let's let's look. So the part of the, the text I read is, is when Jesus is very popular, and so much so that 5,000 men have followed him out into the, the wilderness to seek him out. And if 5,000 men have followed him, there's women and children in addition. So there are a lot of people who are seeking Jesus out. He's incredibly popular. And he's incredibly popular because of the moment this is in, you might be wondering, how does that many people just like leave work and go see Jesus? Well, this is a major holiday. Verse four, we read, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. So this is at the Passover and the Passover is a major holiday in the Jewish faith. It's the day that celebrates God's redemption and, and, and freeing of Israel from slavery to Egypt, out of Egypt, into the promised land. So this is like their 4th of July. And while they didn't have fireworks and hot dogs, they had their own equivalents of those things. This is a major celebration. And they're beginning to wonder, might Jesus be about to lead us into a new exodus? That at this time, Jerusalem was led by or overseen by Rome. They were led by an oppressive ruler. They were taxed by an oppressive ruler and they wanted to be free as god's people to live as they saw fit and they're wondering might jesus be the next moses so they follow him out onto the mountain but there's a problem they're out in a remote spot jesus maybe teaches for a while and now they're hungry so jesus says hey disciples let's feed them now i don't know if you've ever been to a mountain to a remote spot But whenever you go to a mountain, you take your food with you. I've taken my family on a few trips out to national parks. Whenever we do, we load up the food, we take it with us there, because there are not grocery stores on mountains. Well, Jesus, he knows this, but asks his disciples anyway, how are we gonna feed them? Let's feed them. And there's some debate. One disciple says, you know, it it would cost about eight months' wages to feed them. Even if there was a grocery store out here, we could not afford it. Another disciple pulls a a boy's lunch and says, okay, we got five barley loaves, which was the bread of the poor in Israel in that day, and two fish. Jesus says, I got what I need. And he breaks those loaves and those fishes and feeds thousands of people with little food. Now, I realize that might be difficult for you to believe in today's day and age, but for the, the purposes of our story I mean, if they were already thinking this might be the one, the next Moses who can feed us, now they're really going to be thinking about this. Because remember the Exodus story, what happens? They get freed from Egypt into the wilderness, and God feeds them with manna from heaven. And now here's Jesus on the mountainside feeding them with just a few loaves and fish. And it's why at the end of this moment, they say in verse 14, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. This prophet they're talking about is a prophecy from Deuteronomy 18, given by Moses. They think Jesus is the next Moses to lead them into freedom. But what happens? Jesus then, perceiving, verse 15, that they were about to come and make him king by force, he withdrew to the mountain by himself. Jesus will not align himself with their nationalistic concerns. He will not be the king that they want him to be. I think that's worth pausing and and thinking about for a second because one of the ways that's most common that people speak up on behalf of Jesus and say things he does not say is often in relation to the state, into politics. Uh, This past week, one of the Russian church leaders Uh, released a statement where he was praying for the success of the Russian invasion of Ukraine because there were evil forces within Ukraine. Now, of course, most of the world sees the invasion as an act of injustice, an unjust war, but there are Christians within Russia who are going right along with the line their state is giving about evil people in Ukraine who must be invaded. And the reality is you and I, we hear that and we should not be thinking, wow, how can people in John 6 want to make Jesus into a king he doesn't want to be? Or how can Russians want Jesus to support things that they don't, uh, that he does not support? What we should be asking ourselves is, am I forcing an agenda on Jesus that he doesn't want? Am I trying to box Jesus into a corner he's not going to be boxed into? That we should be asking how his our country assumed God is on our side, when maybe we should be asking, are we actually on his? One of the ways people often speak for Jesus is when it comes to the nations they live in or politics. So is this what will cause all these people to leave and abandon Jesus? Well, no. This is not what Jesus says that will rub them the wrong way. So what is it? What does Jesus say that will make all of these thousands of people abandon him? And if you heard it, if I heard it, would we leave him too? Let's keep going. What happens next? Well, Jesus, he gets in a boat. He crosses the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, to get away from these people, but these people, what they do is they get a bunch of boats themselves. They cross the lake and they find Jesus and they go to Jesus and they ask him, what, why did you leave us? Why did you come here? When did you leave us? What are you doing? And Jesus responds to this question by saying this in verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus says, listen, the reason why you're coming after me is not because you know who I am, but because I fed you really well and you want to be fed well again. Do not hunger after earth more than you hunger after God. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you don't want me because I am the Messiah, the Son of God, any of these things. You want me because I fed you bread. That's not enough. Now to be clear, it's its okay to want to be fed well. I mean, even when you read this story, John makes clear they ate as much as they wanted. They ate their fill. Jesus just didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you a snack, but then you got to go find your own food. No, he, he he gave them enough food so they ate to the full. That this world is a good place, right? To, to say, don't just hunger after this earth, but hunger after God is not to say this earth is bad. It's not. The earth is a good place. They ate as much as they wanted. Or I love this. Psalm 104 says this about this world. God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock, plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. You give wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's hearts. The creation is this good place, this giant finger that's pointing back that there is a God who's made this place for us to enjoy, but this earth is so good. We can be so satisfied in this place, we forget someone has placed this for us. This creation is to point us to God. We can so hunger after the things of earth, we stop hungering for God, and that's what he's saying to them. You've ate your fill, but you don't want me. You don't want God. You just want your own political freedom. You want your own food. There's more here for you. Do you want that? So, is that what causes them to leave? Well, no. They keep the conversation going. So, what is it? What does Jesus say that makes them abandon him? What's this? Verse 35 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever does not come to me, I will whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Did you hear it? Did you hear what was so offensive about what Jesus just said? Well, here, verse 41, we, they, we know, they tell us. Verse 41, John writes, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the bread of life who, if you follow my teachings, you'll have a good life. No, he said, I am the bread, I have come down from heaven. I existed before I was born. I have come down to you. This is Jesus claiming to be far more than a king, far more than a religious teacher, far more than just someone with good advice for you. He is claiming to be something far more, and it's deeply offensive to them. And so they start talking this out. They're like, wait a minute. We know your father. We know your mother. We know your family. You didn't come down from heaven. You were born through Mary. Joseph was your Father, and of course, those of us who have read the whole of the Bible story know the virgin birth, Joseph was his stepfather, but, but these folks, they're so confident in their own ability to read Jesus, who he is, they are deeply offended that he is claimed to have come down from heaven. And so, he's claiming to be far more than a king, far more than the next Moses, and they leave because they don't see it. And so after they all leave, we get this, this really this beautiful moment. No doubt the 12 disciples are so confused. I mean, Jesus had a movement going. 5,000 men. I mean, that's an army if you want it. That is a massive a, a congregation of people that can start something new and fresh and good. And now they've all left. And so Jesus looks at the 12 and he just says, okay, do you want to go away as well? Just to remind us, Jesus, he's not interested in negotiating our discipleship to him. He's completely comfortable for you walking away from him if you don't want what he wants for you. Jesus says, do you want to go his way uh, as well? And Peter answered him, Lord, where to him shall we go? You have the words of life. So Jesus, they leave him because he claims not just to to be offer bread from heaven, he claims to actually be the bread from heaven. Heaven. He has the words of eternal life. So when you look at Jesus, who do you see? Uh, Hopefully, not your homeboy. Hopefully, not a peaceful, serene figure. Hopefully, not just someone with good religious advice for you. You're supposed to see the bread sent from heaven, without which you will starve, you will die. Maybe you're still sitting there and thinking, I don't get why they would leave over that. I don't get why this is so tense. Well, let me, let me try th- with three questions that might reveal why this is tense and why you and I might walk away or we might leave if Jesus was to say the same thing to us. Three questions to meditate, to reflect on. First, what are you looking for, for satisfaction? What are you looking to for satisfaction? As the great British theologian Mick Jagger once said, I can't get no satisfaction. And listen, if that guy can't get any satisfaction, I mean, rich, famous, rock star, musician, could have whatever he wanted in the world. If that guy can't find any satisfaction, what chance do you and I have? So what what is it that we, we are looking to to find our satisfaction in? And the best way to answer that question is actually not to answer that question, but to let two things answer that question for you. Your calendar, and your wallet. If you want to know what is, what you are looking to for satisfaction, look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money. So first, your calendar. How do you spend your time when you've had a hard day and you need refreshed, recharged? Do you go to pray? Do you go to read your scriptures? Do you go to sit in the presence of God? Or do you queue up the next thing on your Netflix queue? Do you grab something to drink, something to eat? Do you grab your phone to, to, to scroll it mindlessly? Do you know the average millennial grabs their phone, picks it up 2,600 times in a day, looks at it that much? How in the world can we ever hunger after God, see Jesus as the bread of life when we are that attached to different things? Where do you go? What, what would your calendar say you use your time for to find life? If someone looked at your calendar, would you be convicted as one whose hunger in this life is God? Or look at your wallet. Where do you spend your money most effortlessly? Is it to go out to eat? Is it on vacations? Is it on uh, pleasurable experiences? Is it on ordering the next Amazon thing? That how much does your, your money reveal a hunger for God? How much do you serve the poor, bless the poor with your generosity? How much do you fund the mission of God to this world? Because you want other people to have the bread you have. You give sacrificially to the mission of God to this world. How sacrificially do you give to our church to further the mission we have here at Liberty? When you look at your wallet, it doesn't lie shows you what you think is going to bring you life so what does your wallet what does your calendar say about where you're looking to for satisfaction you can see now maybe if jesus was here in person and he's really pressing in he's like you know i i actually i want to sit down and i want to talk about your budget for next month would you would you still want jesus to do that with you would you want the bread of heaven then well maybe not right can you see maybe why people are saying, "Listen, Jesus, you're claiming far too much in my life than I'm interested in you having." You're, listen, if you're just bread, you just have some advice, I'll take it. But if you are come from heaven, if you're claiming that kind of authority in my life, I don't know about about that. What are you looking to do for satisfaction? Second question: How hard, how hungry are you for God? Listen, I'm, I'm not naive. Uh, there may be many of you uh, hearing this sermon, watching this sermon. And you're thinking, you know, my life's pretty good. I'm pretty satisfied. And I'm not, listen, this world, I, I'm not totally surprised by this. I believe you can be a Christian, a non-Christian, someone who doesn't follow Jesus and have a rich, satisfied life. I mean, I've eaten rare steak. This is a good world. I've drank coffee. I know what chocolate is. I've been into a crisp apple on a fall day. I've been to see mountains, seen the ocean. It's, there is so much Joy and satisfaction to be had in this life. So I understand if, if you say, you know, Tim, I just I'm I'm content and I I don't know God. But let's imagine you invited me over to your house, and because you like having people over, you were gonna cook the best meal imaginable, family recipe only your grandma knows it. She didn't give it to you to you until she died. Like this, I mean, the, this good of food. You're gonna give me the very best, best food, best drink. And I come over, we have great conversation, it's an amazing dinner, we, just, we connect, we have good conversation. Dinner ends, you get up, you clear out the plates, you brew a little coffee, you bring it back in so we can end the night together, and you find, I just bailed, I left. No thank you, no gratitude, no joy, I'm just gone. And what would you think of me? Listen, are mountains there by accident? Is the joy of the life that you have, is that all just certain neurons firing together, like the world just happened to, to land in a really good place for you? Or has someone prepared a life for you, a feast? And you sense, I need, to, I, need, I need to say thank you to someone. Well, that's because there's someone to say thank you to. If you're satisfied without God, that's just a sign you, you've eaten the feast without thanking its maker. Or, listen, if you're a Christian, we do this too, right? How many of us can go through a week and, and just not even feel or experience the presence of God? We just go through life and, and never stop to thank God on a regular basis or do experience His presence. That this world, it is so good, it can be so good, it can dull our appetite for God. And John Piper writes about this. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that doles our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of this world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime trimed dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his life, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, or a wife. It's from Luke 14. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. The most deadly appetites are not the poison of evil, but the simple pleasure of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable, almost incurable. Gardening and reading, decorating and traveling, investing in TV watching, and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking, all of them can become dead substitutes for... God. Are you hungry for God? And let me just encourage you, invite you in. This is the season of Lent, the season where Christians have traditionally prepared themselves ahead of the Easter celebration, the joy we have at the resurrection of Jesus, by fasting from something. And I just want to invite you, there's a number of us on staff and the elders who are fasting one day a week, because we want to increase our hunger for God. And the best way to increase your hunger for God is to take a day to say, I don't, need, I don't need this bread from this earth to really live. I mean, you need it to live, yes, I know. But to really live, I don't need bread, I need God. And a so way of saying with our bodies what John and Jesus is saying here, which is that there is a bread that can only satisfy us, and it is the son of God and the life he has for us. So I want to invite you, this Lent, fast one day a week up until Easter as a way of declaring to God, I want to hunger more for you. I want to increase my appetite for you. And third and final question, when you see Jesus, who do you see? What do you see? Your homeboy, someone with good advice, A remote savior who's bought you your ticket into heaven so you'll get there one day. Or when you see Jesus, do you see bread without which you are going to die? Jesus says in this passage, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat me, you will starve and die. Now, I know that's a weird metaphor. Just just go with it. Jesus is not literally saying, eat me. He's not saying that. But he is saying, he's using the metaphor of food, right? And how does food work? Food, something gives its life to you, and then you take it into your body so that you now have the energy and the power that that thing had that is now giving its life to you. Whether that's a grain that was planted into the ground that then became bread that you eat, whether that's an animal that gives its life so that you can have its life. Embedded into you, or it's a plant that you eat. You take its life and it becomes your own life. That's the metaphor Jesus is saying. And he's saying, Unless you take in my life, you eat me. Again, not literally, but you take in my life into yourself, you don't have enough to really live. You don't have enough to really thrive in this life. And that's, he's On a physical level, he's right about that, right? The food that I eat, yes, it gives me energy for a time, but ultimately there's gonna be my last meal where I take it in and that food isn't enough to sustain my life and I eventually will die. Jesus said that's how food works, but Jesus says his life is the such that when you take it into yourself, it becomes such a life within you. One, you never never long or starve again. To be clear, that doesn't mean Jesus is saying, once you follow him, you'll be happy forever. He's not saying that. But your soul level starvation, your hopelessness in life and death goes away when you take in Jesus and his life, which he gave for us. And he says that explicitly. I'm the bread of, of heaven who's given his life over to others. He gives us his life so that when we take it in, it becomes the type of food That sustains us through our death and into resurrection life. That food, something dies, and we get its life, but eventually we die. With Jesus, he dies, he gives himself for you, and we get everlasting life. And there's only two responses to that possible one is to walk away. I found food somewhere else. I've got no, another agenda. I want something else from life. And we leave his table. Or two is to sit down at his table and say, Lord Jesus, feed me. I'm starving. So what's your response to him? How's your heart feeling that response to him? What does your wallet say about that response? What does your time say? But here's the beauty. Even if you felt deep conviction over those questions, Jesus is always at the table waiting for you. He has a feast. It's not based in how well you respond to him, but in the grace that he gave his life for you. Not that you give your life for him. He's not asking that in this way. He gives his life for you so that when you come to his table and eat from his bread, you want to give your life to him because this is the food with which you will never starve. Have you done that? What's your response to him? And so as I close, I just want to say, if you've never called on Jesus in faith, you can. And I'm going to close this with a prayer. And if you want to call on Jesus in faith, even if you don't know fully what that means is, listen, I've been following Jesus for 30 years. I don't know that I fully know quite yet what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I just know I want that more than anything in this life. But if, if you want that, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I want to invite you to pray it along with me to receive Christ into your heart, to say to Jesus, I want the bread from heaven. Let us pray. Jesus, I want the bread that gives life. I confess that you alone have true and unending life. I confess I've looked in the wrong places for satisfaction in life. Please forgive me. Ultimately, I agree with the words of Peter that I have nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of eternal life. So fill me with that life, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.